The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. My verses this morning, the text I would like us to look at this morning, I want to preach on the subject, why we give. Why we give. In light of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missionaries, I want us to remind us of scriptural truth concerning Christian giving and generosity, concerning Christian stewardship. Now, we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture. We've been in the book of Mark, and if you're like me, the pages in the book of Mark are getting kind of crinkly in your Bible, and I kind of by default out of habit turned to Mark this morning, but we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. Now, I'm speaking on the subject of giving. We're going to see that this is a very scriptural topic. We're going to see within a discussion of giving that there are many gospel truths associated with this subject. I remember early on as a very young pastor in my mid-20s, I had a man after I preached on the subject of giving telling me maybe three times my age. He said, Pastor, we had a pastor here one time before you, long time before you, before you were even born. He said that it was his, his mode of operation, that he never preached on giving, that he believed if he just preached the Bible, that God would take care of that. and We'd always have what we need. You don't need to preach on giving. And my response was, if I preach the Bible, I am going to inevitably preach on giving at some point. In fact, if I tried not to preach on giving, I couldn't preach that great verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. I want us to see this morning that giving is at the heart of the gospel. Giving is at the heart of our God. And we have been created in the image of God. And as his image bearers, we can never live the full-orbed life he desires for us to live until we learn to be like our Lord, to be givers to be generous, to be good stewards. And here we see in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20, Paul encouraged a church in the first century world in regard to this matter. In fact, he wrote this letter, many believe, with the main intent of thanking this church, the church at Philippi, for giving to his ministry. And so it's Thanksgiving weekend, right? Paul wrote this letter as a thank you to a church that understood its biblical obligation before God to give financially to the work of missionaries and to the ministry of the local church. That's why Paul wrote this letter. So he said, Philippians 4.15, let's look at the text this morning and remember the word of God and the authority of scripture. He said, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, When I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. So this church alone was faithful. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything from you in full. And I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why we give? Why should we give? Paul here, I believe in this text, gives us 
five reasons why Christians ought to be faithful to regularly give of the first fruits of their income to the Lord and to his kingdom work. Do you want to be faithful in this regard? I do. I can remember learning. I can remember first hearing a sermon similar to this, sitting in a church, being aware that I wasn't a faithful giver as a young believer. And I was working at a restaurant in Pensacola, Florida, and I realized I'm not giving to the Lord. And I remember struggling with this matter and wrestling through this matter and learning to, to give a little bit and then to incrementally get to the Lord's desired level of giving for my life. And I remember even after that, getting married and marrying a wife who was very faithful in regard to stewardship and being challenged to give. I remember growing in this area and seeing the Lord transform my life. I want to be faithful in this area, and I want to remember this morning five biblical reasons we give. Number one, we give to advance the gospel. We give to advance the gospel. Look at verse number 15 in your Bible. I hope you have a physical copy of God's Word in front of you, and you're taking notes and following along. Look at what Paul says in verse number 15. and He, he says, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Notice this word gospel. Everybody say that word gospel. It's a Greek word that literally means good news or good message. We're reminded this morning that while other religions tell us bad news about how we've got to work our way to God, Christianity is distinct from all other world religions. It gives us good news. It tells us how the righteous, holy God of heaven, the one true God, loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to live on our behalf. The perfect life none of us sinners and broken people could ever live. He lived a perfect life on behalf of our imperfect lives. And then he went to a cross. Why? Because every one of us deserved to die for our sin. And Jesus died on that cross in our place. In our place condemned he stood and he literally, physically, really died. And he was buried in a tomb. And three days later, according to Scripture, he got up from the grave demonstrating that he's the Son of God and no one could kill him. And demonstrating that he had overcome sin, Satan, and death. And Jesus is alive now. He's at the right hand of God in heaven. And the church, us people who are called believers, have been given one main mission in life. It is to be a body that lets the world know Jesus is alive. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, if you will look to him and call out to him in faith and humility, he will save you. He will wash you of all of your sins. He'll give you purpose and meaning in life in the here and now and eternal life in the hereafter. Have you ever done that this morning? Have you ever been saved? Before we conclude this time of worship, if you've never been saved, I'm going to give an invitation and give you an opportunity to come at the front of this church and to pray and leave here a born-again believer. I want you to see here Paul's talking about that gospel. and He told the Philippians that in the early days of the gospel, no other church gave to him except them. He refers here to the early days of the gospel. I believe he's referring back to Philippians chapter 1, verse number 5. You could write that verse down. There Paul spoke about the first days of the gospel. What was he talking about the first days? Well, go read sometime. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40. 
The book of Acts is a historical book written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that tells about many of Paul's missionary journeys. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40, we read a firsthand eyewitness account of how Paul went to Macedonia, went to Philippi, went down by a river because there was no synagogue in Philippi, and he tried to hold church down by a river. And while he was in Philippi, he was used by the Lord to lead a demon-possessed girl, a Roman soldier, and a rich woman named Lydia to Christ. The first days of the gospel, through Paul's faithfulness to minister and to preach the word and to lead the church, God snatched some people and saved some people out of Philippi. The first days of the gospel. We're reminded this morning, if we'll be faithful to live the Christian life and to, proclaim, to preach the gospel from this pulpit and to proclaim the gospel in our areas of influence, guess what the Lord will do? He'll save some people, some crazy people like that old demon-possessed girl. He'll save some people, some old hard people like that Roman soldier. If we'll live the Christian life and preach the Lord, the Lord will even save some rich people and some esteemed people like Lydia. Notice this is what the church has been called to do. And notice what Paul's telling the church at Philippi in this text. It was because of their financial generosity that he was able to serve and to be used by the Lord to lead people to Jesus. Bottom line is, the bottom line mattered for Paul. He needed money to minister. And he thanks the church here and reminds them. He says here in verse 15, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And then he says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. The literal language of the text is once and again, over and over again. See, the church at Philippi understood this. Christian giving isn't a one and done thing. It is this type of thing wherein every time the Lord prospers you, you give of a portion, a tenth of your income to the Lord. Once and again, they had given. He said, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Notice his emphasis on this word need. Need. Referred to a necessity. Paul's reminding the church, I had necessities. I needed food, I needed clothing, I needed shelter, I needed travel money in order to share the gospel, and you met those needs. Get the point of the text, church. Gospel ministry requires resources. These missionaries you see before us on these banners in our church this morning, they're giving their life like the Apostle Paul of old to share the gospel in other places, far off places many of them. And for them to do that work, it requires a church here in Cartersville, Georgia, that gets what the church at Philippi got. We need to regularly give of our income to missions and ministries to advance the gospel. Now, we've had Thanksgiving, so we're allowed to be excited about Christmas now, right? Aren't y'all excited? Well, I enjoyed seeing some of the decorations in town as I drove to church this morning, some of them big inflatables out in the yards, right? Now, I look forward, anybody just um, unashamed to say you look forward to getting presents? Now, that's my, that's my love language, in case you all don't know, Gary Chapman's book. It's a giving and receiving of gifts. I mean, I'm serious this morning. I like to give and receive gifts, all right? So, um, 
I'm not trying to subtly manipulate y'all to give me gifts or anything. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying here. So, okay. So, um, acts of service and giving and receiving gifts. So I look forward to the gifts. I remember as a kid, man, I really looked forward to the gifts, didn't you? Except when I got gifts from that certain aunt. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. Aunt so-and-so. Guess I'm going to get more fruit of the loom this year. Anybody have that aunt that gave you, or grandmother that gave you underwear or socks? You could open it and that person may see the disappointment on your face, or maybe your mom saw the disappointment on your face. My mom would always remind me, those are good, you need those. I thought Christmas ain't about what I need, it's about what I want, right? I mean, what's the point of making a wish list? Now, we all know this in life. Needs are indeed important. And know this, there are needs associated with gospel ministry. And the Bible teaches us that's one reason why we give. Let's look at a second reason this morning. We give to advance the gospel. Number two, we give to grow spiritually. We give to grow spiritually. Look at this wonderful principle in verse number 17. Follow along in your Bible. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Now, Paul's always very careful to do this when he speaks of giving in the New Testament. By the way, Paul spoke of giving a lot. You can go read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's very strong. That's why it's hard for me when people say a preacher shouldn't talk about giving. Paul talked about giving regularly. Also, Jesus talked about it regularly. Somebody says a preacher shouldn't talk about giving. I'm I'm thinking, do you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read what Jesus said? Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus told all types of parables. Have you read them? Jesus told all types of parables to teach us the importance of being good stewards. Why? Jesus knew this. The number one false God that many people serve is this, money and material things. So Jesus went straight for the heart as a preacher. Idolatry. You could say, oh, that old golden calf, they were worshiping some dumb idol. Hey, there was materialism associated with that golden calf. So why did Jesus and why did Paul and why do faithful preachers throughout the... I I read a Spurgeon sermon in the morning in my devotional time and I read just this past week and encouraged me as I prepared to preach on giving. Spurgeon preached unapologetically to raise money for missionaries who were taking the gospel to Jews in 19th century London. So Paul preaches on this subject. But he feels in verse 17 that he kind of has to apologize so he doesn't sound like a greedy, money-hungry preacher because preachers who preach on this subject sometimes get accused of that. So he says, hey, I'm not seeking the gift for me. And I believe he's genuine in that. He says, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Now, indeed, there are preachers who use preaching on giving and stewardship. Maybe that's why we're weary of hearing about this because they use it in sinister and greedy and manipulative ways, they use this type of teaching for themselves. We know that's true. So you've got these guys, even in Metro Atlanta, preaching to get their new jet, right? Paul here is saying, hey, that's not my aim. I'm not preaching for me. I'm preaching primarily for the profit that is increasing to your account. What is Paul talking about here? It's interesting, Roger, he uses language from the first century that were technical terms in the world of banking. 
The word prophet here was the word literally used for fruit. And it was used in the banking world, in the first century world, to speak of interest accruing to a financial account. Paul's saying, hey, church, listen, when y'all give regularly and incrementally of your income to support me, a missionary, guess what? There's going to be interest gaining in your account. What account is he talking about? Well, it's interesting to, to note that the same Greek word, prophet here, write it down, is used in Galatians 5.22 and John 15.5 and 8 to speak of the spiritual fruit that the Lord produces in our lives when we are faithful and following him. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. John 15, 5, Jesus said, abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. So Paul knew this, as the Philippians or as any church commits itself to give, that church will grow in spiritual fruit. Their spiritual bank accounts, if you will, will increase with spiritual profits. You see, here is a principle in God's universe that cannot be reversed. When we humble ourselves and obey and exercise self-control to give of our income to the church and to kingdom work, we embrace a frame of mind and a humble stance of the soul that puts us in a place to receive grace and to grow spiritually. The faith, sacrifice, humility required for giving does something to produce more of Jesus' life within our lives. And each time we give, we secure spiritual profits and gains. So I just think about my own life. I remember, I really remember experiencing this. When I first started to give of my income as a college student, I sensed something was going on. I sensed my heart changing. Before as a college student, I was always dominated by wants. Like I was always thinking about what I want to get next, what type of car I want to have one day, what type of clothes I wanted to buy next what next gadget I wanted to get. And I realized when I humbled myself before the Lord and sought to give regularly of my income, the Lord did something on the inside. The things of the world seemed to lose their luster. And I no longer was driven by wants. I started to be driven by the Lord and by needs. And I started to see things in life differently. Jesus talked about this, didn't he? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you invest in the kingdom and invest in the church, guess what? You're going to love the church. You're going to love the kingdom more. It's like the old boy that's got a nice, big, old, shiny, new pickup truck. No offense. I'm not picking on you if you got a shiny, new pickup truck. That's, that's all right. But I had a lady tell me one time, my husband in that truck. Boy, you can't even bump up against it. He gets all ill. Don't mess up my truck. Getting inside of it, he's all nervous. Don't mess up my truck. Why? He's got a lot invested in it. 
And it's all right to have a nice car if the Lord blesses and you're able to get one. Don't think I'm picking on you this morning. But here the point of my illustration, where our money is, our heart will also be. Jesus taught us. And so if we want to have more concern for the kingdom and the church and the Lord, let's invest in these things. Why do we give? It's a way of growing spiritually. Number three this morning, I want you to see that we give to be surrendered to Christ. Follow along in your Bible and look at verse 18. Paul says, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied. And by the way, I'm not really going to focus on those words this morning, but I'll just say this as a parenthetical. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of our missionaries this morning and the IMB mission, the IMB mission board, international mission board, IMB, Southern Baptist Convention mission board could say, hey, we're all full. We have everything we need. Thank you. That's why we give. He says, I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. Now, now listen, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, y'all don't know this, but I'm kind of a hippie at heart. And I actually have one of these things. Do you all know what this is? I got some incense. Now, I ain't trying to cover up the smell of anything, all right? But I still have some incense. I got my matches. I like to have normal matches. Now, I haven't started burning this at the office here at my old office. I used to burn incense every once in a while, and everybody would think, what is the pastor doing in his office? Now, let's hope this doesn't set the... We got sprinklers in here? Now, I have set off sprinklers in a church before, just to let you know. That's a story for another time. All right? So we get this incense burning here this morning. Let's give it a little... All right. You see the smoke? Can you all see it? Ascending up the worship center. All right? So Paul uses an example here from Leviticus chapter 1, verse number 9. Paul was a good Jew, and he was aware of the burnt offering and how Leviticus 1.9, it was to be offered on the altar, a fire offering, a, listen, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Uh, Paul took, now, in, in the Old Testament times, they didn't have the hippy-dippy incense deal like this, right? But they deal, did burn spices and incense and did burn animals and offer up an offering to the Lord. And there was uh, this idea that as that smoke went up into the air, it was as if the, the worship, the sacrifice was being received by the Lord. Now, Paul uses that old imagery for the church at Philippi to speak of their giving. Hey, and you ever think about this? How did they collect it back then? Did they have the shiny plates like we do now? Did they have a choir special as they passed the plates? Had they had a pandemic and they had to have gray plastic buckets in the foyer? How did they collect the offering? We don't really know, but they collect a financial gift. They took up financial gifts. This is in Philippi, a Roman, a Roman area, and probably there were, there were coins with the emperor's face on them. They were all collected, and Paul wanted the church at Philippi to know, hey, when you all collected all those coins and when you collected that offering, guess what? It was as if you burnt an offering to the Lord and smoke ascended up into the sky before him. He uses this picture of the sacrifice to remind us that at the heart of Christian giving, there's a sacrifice. There's a surrender. There is an act of us 
surrendering our will, our soul, our lives, even our financial goods to the Lord. And ultimately, the New Testament uses this same imagery of the sacrifice to remind us we are not our own, we are bought with the price. The New Testament tells us in Romans 12, 1, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies, listen, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So, so ultimately, the act of Christian giving is this way in which we can take a step forward and surrender our lives to the Lord. To offer ourselves, our resources, all that we have, as a sacrifice to Jesus. We often sing that song, I surrender all, and I love that song. But I gotta ask us this morning, do we really mean it? Are we really surrendered in all areas? Is Jesus Lord of all, even our pocketbooks and our resources? We give to be surrendered to Christ. Y'all all right if I put this out real quick? All right, I'm gonna try to not burn this tablecloth here. Okay, here we go. Got a little bit of burn hole in there. All right, okay, it'll be okay. Number four this morning, I want you to see that we give to experience Christ's blessing in our lives. But Paul continues in verse number 20, or verses 19 and 20, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorite verses in scripture. I often pray that for individuals. Lord, supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. People often quote it for themselves, but notice that this verse is a conditional promise. The Lord here is promising to meet our needs and to bless us when we are faithful as stewards. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now look at this word needs here. It's interesting that Paul includes this. Earlier he had spoken about his own needs uh, back in verse 16. But here he indicates that the church at Philippi had needs. It's actually a word here that indicates they suffered lack. They were financially strapped to some degree, we believe. Paul seems to indicate as much. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, one of those passages where Paul taught on Christian giving and stewardship, he said, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. What churches were those? The ones in Philippi. And listen to what he says, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy, and listen, their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, what is Paul saying? Did the church at Philippi give because they're rich? No, there were folks in the church who were subject to, he said, extreme poverty. Now, we know Lydia was rich. Many believe that she went back to her own home place. She was traveling through Philippi. She initially, that look at the end of Acts chapter 16, supported Paul by taking him into her house. But many believe she went back and shared the gospel in her own region. The church was left alone without a rich person like Lydia. They were a poor church, Philippi was. 
yet they gave. Notice this great principle. Christian giving isn't based on what you got, it's based on who's got you. Christian giving isn't necessarily based about what you got in your bank account, it's about what you've got in your heart. Little is much when the Lord is in it. Didn't Jesus teach us about this? Y'all remember that story about the widow and her mite? And the other dude was there, the fat cat, the rich guy, bragging about all he gave? And the widow puts the mite in. And the Lord uses her as, a, as an example for all generations. That even though you got a little, you can still be faithful and give of your income. And the Lord gives us a promise right here in our, his word. When we do that, he'll be faithful to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Laura was telling the kids the other day about how uh, I paid my way through college. It's kind of what I had to do to get by. I worked full-time, went to school full-time. During those days that I was first challenged to give, and I thought, boy, I don't know if I can give. How can I give it? I know what it's like every year when that last bill comes, even up to graduation, that last bill came. I didn't have the money to pay. But I'd heard teaching on Christian stewardship and Christian giving, and I wanted to be faithful in this area. And the Lord taught me this principle, Patrick. It's not about what you've got. It's about who's in your heart. And if you'll be faithful, I'll take care of you. And he did. Graduated college, graduated seminary, debt-free. Praise, glory be to Jesus. I've got stories I can tell. I'll tell them another time. Got to save up my illustrations, all right? Plan to be your preacher for a while. Can't tell them all in one sermon. But Paul here says, my Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The imagery here is of the Lord emptying his eternal storehouses to bless the one who is faithful to give. Now, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't health and wealth prosperity gospel. This is the Lord will meet your needs. He'll bless you and provide for you. And by the way, if you've got all you need, go read Matthew chapter 6. If you've got food and clothing and shelter, you're blessed. Amen? Let's look at one last principle of giving here. One last reason why we give. Lastly, we give to worship Christ. Notice how Paul closes his talk on Christian giving. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gives what we could call a, a doxology. Many believe that this was a doxology for public worship. Don, they, many believe that Paul here quoted something that was used in the early churches. When you gather to worship or conclude worship, the one leading worship and leading the songs may say, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's how they close worship. Paul here is closing a letter, but he's also closing a talk on Christian giving to remind the church, hey, listen, I'm talking about money, but get this, all this talk about money is about worshiping him. So the end goal is that we have ministers and ministries and missionaries telling other people about Jesus so that other people will get saved and so that other people will worship Jesus. 
So that planet earth will be filled with people adoring and giving praise to the creator who is worthy of all praise. And the end goal here is that more people will one day be around the throne of Jesus worshiping him and saying worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive praise forever and ever. This is the end goal that families who are sharing the gospel in Italy will lead Italians to Christ. And one day around the throne, there will be people in their language singing, book of Revelation, glory and praise be to Jesus forever. This is why we give. It's for worship of Jesus. It reminds us as well that our own individual acts of worship, our acts of giving, excuse me, our acts of worship. See, worship isn't just about singing songs. It's not just about being in this room for church, although this is worship. Worship is a way of life. Worship is all that we do. I believe I can worship while I'm cutting my grass. Thank you, Jesus, for this grass you made. It's beautiful. Amen. You're in control. You meet all my needs. And then even as I give and drop money in a bucket or go online and send the contribution, it's a way of saying, Jesus, you've given me all that I have. And you deserve this. May your name be made great through this gift. Ultimately, at the end of the day, all of our giving is an act of worship. And Jesus taught, about, taught us about this. He wanted us to be reminded that our giving is ultimately an act before the Lord and for the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, one of those many occasions in which Jesus talked about stewardship. He said, when you give... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. It's the idea don't blow the trumpet. Don't try to get an earthly reward. You don't need to go and post it on Twitter or Facebook. You don't need a plaque to commemorate all you've done. Be careful. We live in this type of world that's all about that stuff. All about getting recognition to hear now. I think we need a revival of this teaching where Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, you have your reward in full. You got it all here on earth, you won't get it in eternity. So, so don't, don't focus on getting recognition for it. Instead, focus on your father, listen, verse 4, who sees in secret and will reward you. So every time you give, Jesus sees. It's an act of worship. Make an act of worship. Then know this, when you give, it's all about getting more worship for Jesus. I brought a Christmas gift I got a couple years ago. This is one of those gifts you need. This is from my father-in-law. Got me a good old mag light. It's got the flashlight, the strobe light. Y'all see that? So a flashlight's good. It's, it's helpful, you know. The only thing about a flashlight, I wish when somebody gave me a flashlight, they'd give me a lifetime supply of batteries to go with it, right? Because it's like r- runs out of batteries. I can't use this anymore. So um, now I, I remember getting a flashlight as a kid. I remember my grandfather. He gave us those cool army ones, the green ones, you know. So, um, and I can remember getting that and, and playing with it. It had different lenses you put in there. I can remember that night, Christmas Eve, playing with that thing. And the first impulse that went through my body as I got that flashlight was to shine it in my brother's face. Why is that as kids? You just want to shine it in somebody's face. Seems like a thousand times growing up, I heard, don't shine it in people's eyes. 
And now I find myself doing the same thing. Don't shine that in people's eyes. Now know this, when you have a flashlight, um, you know, you're not going to, the goal here is to shine it on your path. You don't want to shine it on people. Know this, when you give as a Christian, the goal isn't to shine the light on yourself. The goal is to shine the light on Jesus. To give worship to him. To make his name known. To bless ministries here at this church and ministers and missionaries overseas so that they can shine the light of Jesus and shine the light on him so that more men, women, boys, and girls will be saved of their sins and saved from all the stuff of this world and come to worship the one true God. Why do we give? This is one of the reasons. May the Lord find us faithful. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.